explain the plot to me. The wife is gonna ask me about it. I noticed you dozed through most of the middle of it. The snoring was a dead giveaway. Did I miss something? What did I miss? Only the Middle Ages. Damn, were they funny? I enjoyed them. Welcome back, friends. We have news. Great news. What news? We have another Patreon. <gasps> we do. We have a third Patreon. You didn't tell me. Yeah. Uh, so we're oh. up to. Oh, including me. Yes, including gotcha. you. Yes, yes. So we're up to three whole Patreons. And since this one joined the Night Knights, they get a shout out on the show. And since there's only one of them, we'll do it at the top. So thank you, Rachel. Not me. Thank you, Rachel. It's definitely not me. It really isn't Thank me. Thank you, other that, Rachel. That's not sarcasm. It really isn't me. Thank you, Rachel, for joining as a Patreon on the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. We appreciate both of you. <laughs> Seriously. Well, I guess I can take myself off now. What? No, then our numbers will drop. <laughs> you can't pull the rug out from under me like that. We've got three. It's a test account. It's, it's fine. throwing off the no. real data. No, it's not. It's pushing us up there. We look new and notable. Got three Patreons. Oh, we're, we're trending upward. We're trending upward. Exactly. All right. So before we get started on this episode, I do want to note, so trigger warning, this episode of Forever Night contains depictions and discussions of suicidal material. If you or anyone that you know is suffering from suicidal thoughts, please contact the Crisis Lifeline at 988. You can call it or text it. Just wanted to note, if that is something you are sensitive to, there will be a lot of discussion about that on this show because that is what this episode is about. So we will be covering Forever Night Season 1, Episode 4. The Last Act. The Last Act. So, hi, I'm Rachel, not the Rachel that joined the Patreon. And I'm Matt. Welcome. The Matt that actually joined the Patreon. (laughs) Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. So before we get started talking about the episode, I just want to talk about the intro song because we were humming along to it when it came on this time. And I feel like it's important to note that this is, this is fire. <laughs> like I love this intro song. I had this intro song on CD. I bought this like um, sci-fi fantasy intro song CD that had like all kinds of different ones on it. And it was this one. And like Kojak the Night Stalker that I bought it for specifically. Just want to note that I've always loved this. And the voiceover by Nigel Bennett just makes it. Um, I've read an interview with um, Garrett where he says that they all read for the intro, but they chose Nigel Bennett's voiceover because it sounded the best. Because it is the best. Because it is the best. I have to say that was an excellent decision. 
So if you aren't just like quoting this as you go along, as you start watching this, uh, take the time to watch it. I know we we don't have intros like we used to have intros because when you binge watch, you don't want to watch the same minute and 30 seconds to two minutes right, of like you get the credits skip and intro button. Yeah, you get the skip intro button. But, you know, this was like your, oh, I've waited all week for this. Here comes like, oh, the music is playing. I'm mentally preparing I'm myself. I'm mentally preparing myself. I'm so excited for this show to come on. And I, I get that every time it plays because it's like, oh, I remember what it was like to come home and be like, okay, I get to watch my episode now. Just this one episode because there's no TiVo. There's no DVR. I've got this episode to watch. And so that that music invokes that for me every single time, which is probably part of why I love it. Just like that nostalgia moment at the beginning of every episode. So I just wanted to take a moment and thank Fred Molin. It's M-O-L-L-I-N. So I'm going to go Molin, Fred Molin, for his service, because <laughs> it's an amazing intro song. I need to look up and see what else he's done. Maybe he's done as many things as Tangerine Dream. I've just never looked it up. Yeah, we usually don't see the composer or the writer. because yeah, everybody skips the intro now. Yeah, it's a shame. So anyway, we did mention this. There's going to be a lot of talk of suicide in this episode. In this episode of Forever Night and in this episode of the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. So again, if you or anyone that you know is having thoughts of suicide, there is help. Call 988 or text it. There's someone there to help you. But there's no one there to help the lady at the beginning of this episode because we open with suicide. Like there's a lady walking in the park. Oh, wait. oh. oh yes. That- she sits down at a bench. And the sun is rising, and she's looking apprehensive, and then she starts to smoke, and then lights on fire. Like, literally, smoke starts coming off of her body. Yes. She doesn't light a cigarette. No, like, she she uh, spontaneously combusts, and all that's left behind on the bench are her clothes. And a ring. Which is interesting, because in Dark Knight, when he lit on fire, his clothes got charred. He had those like circular patches of charcoal on his sweater, implying that his clothes were burning as well. It's maybe it's because he was trying to fight it. Uh, she straight up burns like to nothing, and her clothes Rapidly. stay behind. Yeah, and her clothes stay behind. Well, anyway, questions for the ages. It's so that Nick can find her effectively. Otherwise, who would have known? Which is like one of the sadder parts of this episode is that. He is end. Up, he does end up investigating what they think is a suicide, but not hers, because nobody but him and a couple of other people even know she's gone, which is like tragic. It's right because really she didn't leave a body behind. So half after we have the uh, scene of her in the park, Erica uh, of Erica in the park, we cut to um, like the hospital. Do we do the hospital first? Anyway, these two things are happening together. There's yeah, a, I thought we cut to the hospital and there's the resident. Yeah, there's the resident. She's trying, trying to save to someone. There's guy. an older lady crying for her husband and she doesn't manage to save him. Uh, and then we see her in the locker room and we get kind of an inappropriate moment with her boss where her boss starts rubbing her shoulders. Yeah, it had a, like weird vibe. Yeah. Very different than the way it went. Part of me thinks that this lady is a villain. And I think it's because she comes back. 
But both of these actresses are going to get recycled. One is going to get recycled as not the character she is right now. And I think the other one comes back as the character. Sometimes when they recycle the actors, they've simply moved jobs. They aren't a different person. And I think this lady comes back. We might get proved wrong in this, but I recognize her. So I feel like she's going to come back. But I definitely recognize the young girl with the short hair. Um, Marilyn Spiegel, who is going to be our victim in about 45 seconds. Uh, She comes back, but not till season three. Uh, And then she gets her shoulders rubbed inappropriately by her boss. And then we get her in the shower. Um, And she turns around because someone has pulled the shower curtain back and she obviously recognizes whoever it is. Right. She just says something like, you're crazy. Oh, you're crazy. And then... The person that she recognizes pushes her against the wall, pushes her arm arm against the wall and slits her wrist. And we just get like an image of blood running into the sink, into the drain um, to imply that something terrible has happened, which it has. Because um, we then cut to the precinct and Nick is hangry, grumpy. He's having a hard time at work. Yeah, he's having a hard time at work. There's no problem. What do you mean there's no problem? I ask you what's going on, and you bite my head off like a rattlesnake. Okay, okay, everything's fine. What's it, a woman? No, it's not a woman. You constipated or something? You know something? I think most murders are solved just by straight-out confessions. That sounds like a cop that's lost his confidence. The captain's like, you constipated or what? <laughs> Which I love the, the look. The moments yes. of levity in this particular episode are are few and far between. So we got to take them where we get them. So this stone tree asking Nick if the reason he's grumpy is because he's constipated. And then the look that Nick gives him afterwards is, is pretty good. <laughs> the like, no, I don't even eat solid food look that he gives him. Uh, and then Skanky shows up and he's like, we got to go to the harbor. We got to go right now. So I don't know what the rush is because they go and he's literally like, we're not here for anything. Just this pile of clothes on the bench, which Nick just reaches down and pulls a ring out of the pile of clothes. And it's like a. They're, they're investigating someone that called in to report a spontaneous human combustion. Yeah. So a lady probably running in the park saw it happen. Screaming, making a big scene. And so a guy talked to her and then called it in. Yeah. And so the guy is there. He said, I was going to throw it in the trash, but I thought I'd call you guys first, which is just like a, oh, such a Canadian thing. But it's a stab to the chest. I mean, it's a step. It's a, it's a wound, right? Because this was a person and she's gone, but because she doesn't leave anything behind, no one knows except Nick, because he picks this ring up and he immediately right, only because recognizes he recognizes it. the ring. And we get our, fir- our first flashback of the episode, which is Nick Garrett when Davey's doing probably what he does best, which is overacting on the stage with some swords. And uh, he's fighting with the woman that we saw sit on the park bench. And they are duking it out on stage. And then he just straight up stabs her. Like, not stage stabs her, just like stabs her through the stomach. I was uh, looking to see if they put a hole in her costume. Because... They made it look like he actually just stabbed her through the belly yeah. to make it look more convincing. Right. But then there wasn't a hole. I mean, he did stab her because he knew she was going to be fine. Right. Because as the next scene shows us, they're both vampires and they're in love. 
and they are uh, rolling about a little bit, and she gets the fun line. You, sir, are very skilled with your sword. Do you wish to have me through again? And again. And again. And he's like, uh, yeah, I'll stab you with my sword. <laughs> I rather enjoy stabbing you with my sword. Uh, definitely talking about a sword. He's talking about a sword wink, here. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Right? Yeah. And then they do this roll off the table, which I just want everyone to note how athletic Garrett Wendavies looks when he's rolling off of this table because... It's uh, so smooth. It's so smooth. Like the way he gets her to fall down on this bench is... Uh, it's, it's really nice. And so then they have a vampire intimate moment where we do a little... Mutual penetration. <laughs> but like teeth penetrate we bite each other yeah they bite each other so thanks matt for putting that in the weirdest terms possible You're uh, welcome. <laughs> which explains why uh he can stab her and she's fine and then we cut to them investigating this murder scene which we know it's a murder scene but as far as everyone at this time is concerned this is a suicide and Skanky gets a little suicide Skanky. commentary here, which does mm, not, not age, well. age well. It does it's not. It's very insensitive. This yeah. whole episode is borderline uncomfortable to watch, uh, partly because of the subject material and partly because of how it's treated in places. And this is one of those places where it's like, uh, I mean, they're trying for another moment of levity here especially when he's like i'd open a bottle of wine we'd have a couple minutes of love making um but no no it's not funny it's just uncomfortable but mercifully brief uh so then we cut back to another flashback which nick must just be like turning and staring off into the distance every five minutes <laughs> This entire episode, as far as the people around him are concerned, because every right, and time nobody brings it up anymore because it just happens so often. Well, they do in this episode. Every time they're like, Nick, are you even listening? And he's like, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I was totally listening. I wasn't thinking about this chick that died that I can't tell anyone that died. Uh, so we go back to the flashback and it's post vampire intimate moment. And they're snuggling in the uh the afterglow of whatever it was they just did, which was apparently blood swapping because uh, they talk a little bit about what each of them remembered seeing in the other person's blood. Right, the memories that they got from the blood they drank. Right, which a lot of the vampire mythology is going to become extremely flexible season to season. But this is a consistent theme from start to finish, which is that they experience life through the blood they drink. So it is... Like in Underworld. Like in Underworld. So it's not just blood. It is also the experience of that person's life that they are taking part in. So it kind of ups the stakes of what Nick is giving up. Because Nick isn't just giving up blood. He isn't just giving up a better tasting blood, a better right. tasting it's meal. It's a whole other angle on experiencing human connections right so he's not swapping steak for chicken breast here he is giving up experiencing life the way that a vampire would experience life which is through human memories human blood which i always loved it's subtle because we don't really talk about it until season three 
like the second to last episode. But it's definitely one of those things that deepens the mythology of the show. And it's one of those things that, like I mentioned on the Instagram, which you should follow us on Instagram at Strange and Beautiful Book Club, is that you can't dismiss an old television show just because it's old. So Pippin got stuck under a dresser. So I think of it as like novellas versus like novels. So a lot of what we see on television now are these long form novels. And these television shows are more like novellas. They couldn't count on you being able to watch every single episode. So they couldn't count on you being able to follow storylines. Right. Even just two episodes in a row. Right. They, if you missed an episode and you didn't know what was going on when you came back, they'd lost you. And so they couldn't do that. They had to have these small, self-contained storylines. And so they feel like short stories or novellas. And it's one of the things that I love a lot about older television shows is that they do have to have these really tight writing in order to make sense and to be entertaining. We do get a lot of Nick acting like an actual cop in this episode. Yeah, this is the most I've seen him investigate yet. Yeah. I mean, the reason he's angry is because he's got so many outstanding cases. And he's like, I don't think you can solve these. I don't think you I think I have to have confessions. That's the only way I'm going to solve anything. And Stone Tree's like, well, you sound like a cop who's lost his confidence, which is what we get a lot of. This is Nick's kind of like soul searching episode. This is our. This is his life crisis. Right. So anytime you have the moral vampire. The question is always, if life is so unbearable, why do you keep living it? But this is that episode for us. This is, why does Nick not just let go completely? Why is he trying to become mortal? Why is his solution to become a person and not to simply stop killing people by no longer being around to kill people? So he has a couple really good lines in this where we get a glimpse into why he is fighting so hard to be a human instead of just giving up and either becoming either completely a vampire or just letting go of life entirely, which is the theme of this episode. Um, and it's a good episode. Uh, we I, go. I really liked Nick and Natalie's interactions. Here, I thought yeah. Natalie's uh, discussion of the topic was a lot more mature. Yes, than probably any other show that I'd seen <laughs> from the '90s. Right. It's that's why I'm saying this episode is uncomfortable for two reasons: one, because of the subject matter, uh, and partly because of how it's treated. But there are a lot of very insightful moments um, and discussions in this because uh, we go back to the apartment, and he's in his 18th century shirt again which is must be his like downtime shirt and he's got like this 90s vest over top of it like he's trying to modern it up i don't know it's a odd combination because it's not what he's wearing when he comes home so he's clearly changed into this because it's more comfortable which we've mentioned that he does before he yeah. gets home he slips into something more comfortable and it's like a billowy yeah little sleeve shirt from like the 1800s and another thing i like about this show is we use his entire apartment set there's not just like a living room fireplace set and then his little like TV sitting area set and then the kitchen. 
We go upstairs. Right. And this isn't a studio. It seems like this is an actual building. Right. We move around and we will use this entire. There's no like false wall. Yeah. Just to get better uh, camera angles or anything. So he's up on his balcony and he's like got case files open all around him. Like he's working during the day when he can't sleep. And Erica appears. And it, we're left in doubt as to whether this is Nick processing or whether she is actually appearing to him, which we are going to have a ghost episode. So it's not outside the realm of the possible that this is an actual ghost. But we don't. Nobody else sees her. He doesn't talk about it to anybody. He kind of treats it like this is him working through it because he sees her and he goes down to the level that she's on. We get like a whoosh sound, which is our he's flown somewhere sound. <laughs> he even flies from the loft in his apartment. Yeah. I mean, why go down the stairs when you can? I, I would. I would absolutely do that. I probably would be the laziest, but just float everywhere. (laughs) Like in the Beetlejuice cartoon. Remember the Beetlejuice cartoon when she'd go to his world? Yeah, he just floats everywhere. And he'd just float everywhere. Yeah, that'd be me. But um, she tries to like, she's talking to him, but she's also pulling him back because his blinds are cracked. She's standing in the beams of sunlight. Right. And she's saying, come to me, Nick. Yeah. And she's like, you know, don't, do you, are you tired of life? Aren't you tired of life? Do you feel like you're still giving back to life? And she's slowly leading him into the sunlight, which he had cracked his blind earlier as kind of a working his way through it thing where he stuck his hand in the sunlight while his he pinky finger kind of remembered her saying that there was going to come a time where she was not going to be contributing anymore. And then she was going to be a taker. And once she was a taker, she needed to just leave. And he's like, uh. Which she no phrases it a couple different ways. And one, sometimes she phrases it in the like, I'm not contributing to society, which eh, I don't know if that's a like valid, valid reason. Cause it's not about your contributions. It's about the it's connections her perceived, that you have. It's her, that's how she's phrasing but her then perceived. The other value. way she phrases it is, Her passion for life. Yeah. That she has her plays and she has her on the stage where she literally feels like shouting for joy. But then when she doesn't anymore, she'll feel like that's the end and she needs to just go. And he's like, well, no, you don't have to do that. And she's like, well, hmm, I do. And you'll feel like that, too. And he's like, "Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I will, which is the question he's pondering. So we go back to the hospital after this moment where he's like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready to join you, Erica. Not yet. And we get to talk to some nurses and they're really like, this, this interaction is really cute because they're like, she was cool. She wasn't uncool, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get our first hint that she takes a lot of pictures, which this is a theme we we like hammer hard is that yeah. she takes a lot of Multiple pictures. Multiple times. But and not- then, and then there's a wall of pictures yeah. for Nick to look at, and all of the pictures have Marilyn in them. Right, she's in them, so she's not take unless she's like carrying a camera around and handing them to people and being like, "Take a picture of me with so and so," because every photo that they're like, oh, "Aren't these amazing?" She took these pictures. She's in them. 
So she's not taking them. She's having pictures taken of her. So she literally had a wall in the nurse's break room that was just pictures of her that she was putting up. Right. And there was another wall in her apartment. Right. And she's also gifted photos of herself to other people because we go, they're like, oh, the person you want to talk to is Dean. And so we see this I guy. wonder if this was a, another like miscommunication between the writers and the set people. And the set people were like, oh, Marilyn's pictures. Okay, pictures of Marilyn. And the it's, writers were like, Marilyn's pictures. Uh, it's take- because like if she'd just been taking photographs of other people, it doesn't work. Right. We got to see her smiling. We got to see her palling around with other people. We got to see her participating in life. If we see her only as the observer, so they're only photographs that she has taken of other people. So we don't get that she was an active participant in her life. She was enjoying her life. She was living her life. She was out with other people. Uh, We're supposed to see that because that's part of the. And reason that's why Nick, why Nick is having a hard time accepting that she intentionally ended her own life. And we get several discussions that are like, that are saying you can't just see something like that and assume that that means that they're fine, which is absolutely true. Right. Their, their apartment, their work environment, whatever the way that they act has no bearing on right. how they're feeling inside. Right. But this is a shorthand for she was participating in her life because she's in her life. She's in her photographs. Right. She has lots of deep connections with people. She has all these this photographic evidence. And then there's like one person who's saying, oh, yeah, she's been depressed. Right. So he goes to see Dean, which is who they suggest that he goes to see. And he's a clown and he's playing with these ill children in the hospital. And Nick does this sleight of hand thing where he pulls his wallet they from make the it, clown's They try to make it look like collar. he's doing sleight of hand. Yeah. But probably the the badge wallet was too big to like palm it or anything. Yeah. So it was just actually tucked in the clown's collar. And, you know, he reaches his hand behind like he's holding something and then pulls it out. Yeah. Wait, no. (laughs) It's like, oh, I did a little time in the circus. So Dean pulls his clown wig off and he's bald. And he says... And he slumps against the wall. Yeah, he slumps against the wall and he says, sorry, but, you know, chemotherapy takes a lot out of me. So, uh uh-oh, Dean isn't well. And we find out that Dean is living at the hospital which is because incomprehensible a- to the American audience. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, reminder, this show takes place in Canada. Yes. Which has uh, like single-payer universal health care. Yeah. Where this so is a potentially feasible situation yes. where someone is living in the hospital and he isn't actively bankrupting, bankrupting his family, his immediate family, and everyone with financial ties to his immediate family by living in the hospital. And he has a like a little room to himself where he has a framed photograph. We see the same photograph like three times and it's her with Dean and Dean has hair. 
like some hair. And so it's a large photograph. It's a maybe eight by 10 that's framed on his desk. And then Nick is talking to him and rifling through his stuff all at the same time. While the guy's watching. Yeah. Nick doesn't have a lot of um, personal boundaries. And uh, this is definitely one of those situations where we see it in full force because he just walks around his bed and starts going through stuff on this guy's desk. I wonder if it's like how like we go into the kids' rooms and it's like we just go through all their stuff. Yeah. Because they're just kids, right? <laughs> it's possible. To Nick, it's like, oh, here's a you know, 35 year old guy. Yeah. Well, that was 700. What, what a little kid. 70 years ago. I can ago. go through his stuff. You know, they. Ah, it's fine. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. He does a lot of like hugging and kissing of people too, which, well, I mean, we do to the kids just because have... they're kids, but I wouldn't do it to other people's kids. But I don't know. He just doesn't have, uh, can have a lot of personal boundaries. So he's rifling through this guy's photographs and he says, Oh, you got a lot of, got a lot of pictures of Marilyn here. And he starts to get this guy a little bit angry because, as Dean says, um, he's mad that Marilyn would end her life when someone like Dean only has a couple months left to live and right. he and would he, give anything. He to says, keep I thought, he says, uh, I thought that she wanted to live as much as right. I did. Excuse me for I being did. upset. Yeah. Uh, or excuse me for not wanting to talk about right. the death of someone who I thought wanted to live as much as I do. Right. So he ends up throwing the photographs at Nick and he's like, may you never have a day's luck with them. <laughs> Just get out of my room. So he leaves. Right. And Nick was doing like a police interrogation thing, tr- like riling him up to get him yeah. to you know, say something sincerely rather than bullshitting. Which works. He's sincere. He sincerely wants him to get the fuck out of his room. And so Nick does. And we go back to the precinct and Stone Tree has called him in and he sits down and he goes, Nick, sit down. And Nick does Nick this, is already sitting down. Nick does this little look like I am already sitting. But okay. You look awful. Thanks. You wanted to see me. Sit down, Nick. I've been considering handing over half your outstandings to Detective Sheepers. You've been contemplating what? Sheevers is on a hot streak. Maybe, just maybe he'll find out something you can't. I resent that, Captain. I mean, if you're not happy with the way I'm working out, why don't you just tell me? You want to know what I'm not happy with? I'm not happy with this message from the administrator to Mercy Hospital. Telling me that one of my detectives has been insinuating that the suicide the other night wasn't a suicide. And I want to know why. He says, uh, oh, you look terrible. And Nick's like, thanks. <laughs> what do you want? And so it's Stumtree is, you know, considering giving some of his cases to somebody else because Nick is feeling really stressed. And also he got a message from the hospital administrator saying that Nick was there Stone harassing tree. people. Yeah. Yeah, Stone tree. Like, Why did I get a phone call from the hospital administrator about one of my detectives? Yeah, who was there harassing people, which to be fair to Nick, he has to go and ask these questions at night. He doesn't have any other time to go and do it. So he's not always harassing right. so then, people. Sometimes then, it's just the hours. That I noticed works. that the next time he goes to the hospital, he's like, I know it's late, but excuse me for a moment. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, look, I'm sorry. It's late. And they're like, do you, could, couldn't you come back in the morning? And he goes, uh, no, I can't actually. <laughs> Cause he can't. I'm allergic to sunlight. I'm kind of like, kind of burst into flames a little bit. Uh, but he's pressuring Nick to let this go. 
that this was a suicide and he needs to just let it go. But Nick isn't only talking about Marilyn right now. He's talking a little bit about Erica, too. And he's like, I can't let this go. I got to figure out what happened. I got to know. And like Natalie says, if it was probably a suicide, why don't you just let it go? And he's like, I'm not willing to settle with probably. I'm not willing to, to let this go without knowing for sure. Are you sure? I, I mean, I know you're swamped and it probably was a suicide. I'd rather find out for sure than settle on probably. Okay. And he's transferring a little bit, but it's okay because it's making him care about the. I mean, I think he would have cared anyway, but it's making him care all that more deeply. Right, and about Stone Tree case. even comments that, hey, you know, he's, uh, they're, they're about, to, they're going to interrupt him or whatever. He's like, no, no. Let him go. Let him go. Like, I like to see he's got him that like fire this. back in him yeah. again. Because uh, he says, let it go, Nick. And Nick's like, no, I won't. He's like, why will you not let this go? And Nick says, I need it. Why is this so important to you? I need it. All right. 24 hours. And Stone Tree tells him, okay. And fine. that that yeah. is a healthy, like, manager-employee communication. Yeah. It's like, why are you doing this? I need to do this. I need this right now. Oh, okay. Okay. I if you understand. need that, great. I'll give you the freedom to. Yeah. And he says, You got 24 hours. If you can't find anything that makes you feel like this is not a suicide in the next 24 hours, then you got to let it go. And Nick says, Deal. Right. Absolutely. So then Nick ends up alternating between investigating Marilyn's thing and investigating Erica. Yeah. Which this is one of those episodes where it's clear that Skanky works the day shift. Yes. Yeah. Because Skanky is interviewing people during the day, doing stuff during the day. Uh, he comes to Nick's house during the day and Nick has no food. And he's like angry about how Nick has no food. Do you not have any crackers? This entire episode, Skanky is hungry, hungry. all the time. Yeah. Everybody's Is that angry. like a thing for the season? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's just supposed to be establishing Skanky's character. Because he also goes through Nick's fridge and he only has bottles. His, he like, has a little green plate glass with some bottles. red meat on it. And then he has six uh, green glass bottles with a red liquid in them and a cork. Yeah. And, and they have no label, and they are all clearly uncorked. But Skanky 100% believes that these are leftover red wine from, like, Christmas and birthday. So that he's, like, by the, you know, him able to uh, contribute something to demonstrate his superior knowledge. He's like, heads up, you know, you're not supposed to refrigerate red wine. <laughs> uh, which in this episode, it should be noted. Nick uses his remote to check his answering machine and do his blinds. So we have established it not only does his blinds and his fireplace, but it also checks his answering machine. So Matt, <laughs> Matt said this is home automation before home automation, but it's just this magical remote, which he, at one point, stuffs down the front of his pants. Like yeah, he gets as he goes home, to open the fridge. He gets home, he pushes the button to close the blinds, and he stuffs the remote down, like directly center front of his pants, and then pulls a glass bottle out of the out of the refrigerator to get breakfast or dinner or whatever it is, but and then proceeds to continue walking around with this remote stuffed in his pants. Back so he Goes to continue investigating this. And the first place he goes, which is the first place he goes most of the time, is Jeanette. Because Jeanette apparently has her supernatural ear to the ground. And 
I mean, I am of the opinion that Jeanette probably does know the answer to almost all of his questions. She just doesn't give enough of a shit to answer them. Probably everybody goes to Jeanette like this. Yeah. And she just accumulates information. Yeah, she feels like a community hub. Yeah, definitely. So he goes to the Raven and he kind of walks back to her little chain chain alcove that she lives in. Yeah, the the like sheets of chains hanging yeah. from the ceiling Which were these are a little weird. Plastic chains because they rattled too much for the cameras. So they had to oh, yeah. replace them with plastic chains. Yeah, there's a guy on YouTube. He's a like prop master. And so he'll demo stuff. He's like paper bags, you know, rattle too much. Uh, so we use these rubber ones that look just like the real thing and you yeah. can crumple it up and it makes no noise. Yeah. yeah. So, so these, I just wanted to note, are plastic chains. But Jeanette is hanging out at her little spot and he gives her the ring and she's like, oh, she finally did it. Which this is another kind of a insensitive suicide commentary here. Right. Because Nick was very invested in Erica Staying alive. He knew she had this tendency yeah. for thinking about death and particularly how she was going to end it herself. Yeah. And then Erica also knew Jeanette. And apparently Erica had been talking to Jeanette about it. And Jeanette hid it from Nick, knowing how important it was to Nick. Yeah. And he's like, I could have helped. And she was like, nah. No. Right, just completely. No, she's like, but it doesn't off. matter anyway because she's dead. So who cares? It's done now. Which this is supposed to have us read Jeanette as um, inhuman. But she's supposed to be inhuman. She likes being inhuman. Right, and I think they do, but, do a good job of that. This is a bit much. Her completely dismissing Nick's commentary, which Nick is having suicidal thoughts in this episode. This right. is what all of Erica's appearances are for him, are him wrestling with the idea that he could follow her. He could do what she did. This is this woman has given him social permission, which is what happens when you publish stories and have movies where characters have suicidal ideation or depictions of suicide is you and, give yeah, suicide attempts. You give social permission and it's a unfortunate kind of reaction that happens for people who have the susceptibility to these types of thoughts. And so Nick is asking for help. He's telling her, I, this bothered me. This made me think about doing it myself. And, uh, Jeanette just isn't hearing him. She's right. Like, but then he has a similar conversation with Natalie and she does. And, and as a kind of a call for help, it kind of reinforces their relationship because Natalie like literally pushes him back. Yeah. And is like, no, like I care about you too much. And you, know, you are so important to me that I'm getting angry at you. Yeah. Yeah. So they go from here to see her apartment because he asks, you know, after he's been dismissed, he asks for her to take him to her, to Erica's apartment. And they go, and it's a little, it's a little over the top. She has like dead plants. It's all There's dusty. Cobwebs. There's cobwebs. And he's like, there's no way she was living like this. 
And Jeanette goes, oh, if I'd known, I'd have brought her my, I'd have given her my decorator, which. <laughs> Another complete dismissal. Of yeah. The- and I want to be happy about how extra Jeanette is in this scene because she's wearing this like strappy dress with a fur coat and a large hat and these dark glasses. And it's totally just like she's cosplaying out in real life. Like she is a vampire and she is, that's where she lives. That's her echo chamber. She lives in the Raven with all these other vampires. She doesn't hang out with people, humans. And so she, she is this extra over the top caricature of a vampire. And so that's what we're seeing when she walks into the room and it's, you want to enjoy it, but it's like this whole episode is such, is such a heavy mood. It, it's hard to find levity, even when they're they're trying. They're trying. That's what the decorator comment is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a moment of relief, but it doesn't feel like it. It just feels like Jeanette being insensitive because this is important to Nick. He picks up this doll, which Erica has this doll. And we have several scenes with this doll where she's dancing with it and talking with it. And she's discussing with Nick the fact that humans find immortality through children, through family, through continuing their... Their legacy. Their legacy. Whether you continue it with actual genetic children, adopted children, found family, however you're finding your legacy and passing it on, that's what humans do. But vampires, she says, it's their great irony that they don't. They can't produce children. They grow... They live forever, forever, but they have to die violently because there's no other way for them to die. And then they leave nothing behind, which is what she feels like she did. Although she does write one final play and someone shows up at her apartment and she conveniently has a playbill for this. The last final play is the last. Yeah. And she gives it to Nick. And so after he leaves her apartment, he's got the doll and he's taking it home and he walks in the house as the sun has already risen. And Natalie's waiting for him. And she's like cutting a little close, aren't we? He's like, I had seconds to spare. And Natalie's immediately like, whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> Red flags. Red flags. Uh, because he clearly doesn't care that the sun is up. His blinds are open. He could have burst into flames, literally walking in to his house. And so she is the one who closes his blinds. He doesn't. He tries to walk through the sunlight and she pushes him out of it. And he's he's at rock bottom. He went to Jeanette for help. She dismissed him. He went to try to figure out why his long ago love killed herself. Right. And it was so planned ahead that she wrote and produced an entire play. And yet no one ever contacted him for help. And so he's feeling lost. He's feeling lost in this moment. And Natalie's there for him. She kind of pushes, literally pushes him away from the edge. And then she tells him, look, you don't, I don't believe that you want to die any more than Marilyn Spiegel did. Because, hey, we're still, we're still investigating the other case that's going on in this episode. Ostensibly. Ostensibly. And so she tells Nick that Marilyn was six, six weeks pregnant. She was like, yeah, I, I heard what you said, so, and it kind of bothered me, so I went back and did some more tests, and she's pregnant. Like, here's here's a lead. Yeah. Now there's actually a motive that might actually 
uh, get another person involved and potentially do this to her. Right. So she's giving him a lifeline. She's throwing him something because she knows this has so much meaning for him. And she's saying, I heard you. You didn't believe that this woman had completed suicide on her own. So I followed up on it and I think you're right. And so he he takes the lifeline for what it is. And they must have contacted Skanky because he shows up on his lunch break. And that's when we get the funny scene with the uh, red wine in the refrigerator. And he's complaining that he's wasting his lunch break here because all he wants is crackers or souvlaki and there's none here. And so he tells Skanky that Marilyn was six weeks pregnant and they have a they have a com- they have like a back and forth commentary here that I don't know that we would see in a television show here now because they literally are like, well, why didn't she just have an abortion? And <laughs> you're like, oh, oh, we're just going to outright say that on TV. Wow. Like in the 90s. I don't know. I, it felt jarring to me. I don't know. Maybe that's just because that whole topic is something as loaded as the rest of what this episode is talking about, but it's treated so flippantly. Right. The A word and the S word. Yeah. It's treated so flippantly right in this moment. Um, but they just, she's like, well, no, she didn't because she was like, she was on and right. Like Skanky says maybe choice. she was pro-life. Yeah. And she's like, no, she was literally on a pro-choice like action committee. Yeah. And he says, well, what does that get us? And Nick says, well, motive. And so Skanky looks considering. And so Skanky's like long-term manipulation of this boyfriend feels a little like entrapment <laughs> because he goes several times and plants. Well, okay. So I, uh, between, between this lead up uh, that you're going on, I liked one of Skanky's lines where he's just walking with Nick. I think they're walking into the uh, police precinct. And it's like, you know why I really like you? The overtime. Is this a trick question? Because you interrupted my story about the dinner that never was. I think I'll wait for the movie. You know, there's only one thing I like about working with you. Oh, yeah, what's that? Overtime. And so then uh, Stone Tree's there. He's like, what are you doing here? And uh, it's like, well, I, I think we're setting a trap. What are you guys up to? Well, I may be wrong about this, but... I think we're setting a trap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, entrapment. <laughs> so Literally. Literally. So Skanky goes to the boyfriend's house. He's sussing out whether the boyfriend knew that she was pregnant or not. And so he did. And they, well, they weren't sure if she was pregnant yet or not. So he goes back to the precinct and they're discussing it. And Nick's like, well, did right. she have well, plans? He's, he's so subtle about it. Right. Because he he's like... Well, then losing the baby must have been really hard. Yeah. It's like, oh. And you see this like flash of surprise on the boyfriend's face. Yeah. And then so he has to come up with something. Oh, well, we didn't know for sure if she was really pregnant or not. Yeah. This is, I love Skanky. So this establishes that the boyfriend and Marilyn both knew about the pregnancy. Yes. Even if it was just a potential pregnancy, but it may be just the boyfriend covering up. Right. With uncertainty. Which I love, Skanky. And this is what I was saying in previous episodes where they could have treated Skanky very offhandedly. They could have made Nick the absolute like rock star cop, the cowboy cop 
who solved everything on his own, and Skanky was more just like a headpiece. And comic relief. And comic relief. But they don't. They give Skanky a lot of depth, and they give him a lot of skills. He is a good cop. He is good at what he does. I he mean, is also the goofy comic. I mean, relief, he's also the goofy comic relief. He's but also we get these a moments. Member of the team, we get these moments like this interview with the boyfriend where he so subtly drops the information that he wants to see the reaction. He wants to know how this guy's going to react to this information, and so he so carefully works it into this discussion. Right. He's he's so smooth about. Like, I guess his technique is just kind of feigning either like brashness or feeling overly familiar with the person that he's interviewing. He's like, I'm so comfortable talking to you yeah, that I'm just, uses, I can make these offhand he comments. Uses his, like, jovial. But it's actually, it's a plan. Yeah. He's executing this like interrogation plan. Yeah. Just so smoothly that everyone's like, oh man, that guy is so overly familiar with people that he's interviewing yeah. that he makes these offhand comments. It's like, no, no, that's all on purpose. He uses his joviality, his, he uses his uh, exterior, his like good guy kind of. Yeah. Chubby male pattern baldness. Yeah. His, his approachability. He yes. uses his approachability as like a, Hey, we're friends. He, he can Man. easily diffuse the situation yeah. because everybody underestimates like, him. Like, Man, was it hard when you lost the baby, and he knows, and he's what a family he's doing. guy, he knows what he is doing, and he does it so well. And I yeah, and he's love like, it. "You don't have to tell me. I'm married. I know." Yeah, but after he goes to talk to the boyfriend, they regroup at the precinct, and Nick is like squatting on the desk. He's like half on the desk, half off the desk. Like he's so excited to be working this case. He can't even sit down, which this must be everybody's desk. Cause when we see Skanky at work, he's sitting at this desk. It's probably the desk in this like just big room that they had as the set. It was probably the best like camera angle desk. Yeah. Because we use so this desk just, for like everything. They use it to frame all the shots. Yeah. Uh, very rarely do we use any other desks. They're almost always clustered around this particular desk. But he's like half on, half off the desk, ready to hop, ready to go. And he's like, did she have plants? Did she have an animal? Did she have whatever? And so Stone Tree walks up behind him and he's like, look, Nick, that's not proof that she wanted to live. You can't look at somebody's apartment and say, well, they kept a plant alive. So they clearly weren't thinking about ending their lives because they have a plant. He's like, no, that's ridiculous. You can't make those kind of one-to-one -one assumptions. And Nick kind of sort of agrees with him, but then he's like, I got to go. I got places to be. So he hops up off the desk and he's leaving and Skanky or Stone Tree says, this is what I like to see. I, I love it when he's like this. Let him go. Like I he's running with it and I, this is right, what I want. chasing leads. I he's want excited. this passion and yeah. I see it and I, I don't want to do anything to stifle it. He said, well, where are you going? And Nick's like, oh, the, the theater. Because <laughs> he's going to see the play, Erica's last play. Right. So it's a clearly talking about Nick play. Uh, that's what we're doing. We're just discussing Nick and her life and how she lived it. She lived her life. And she could find a way to live more or live again, but it wouldn't be the same. And so she's not willing to even try. And it's a 
bittersweet sort of sentiment. Where and it's it's another reference to the parents live on through their children. Yes, because which ends up being like the the critical insight that yes. Nick has into the Marilyn case. Right, because the little girl in this play is Catherine. And she's made up like the doll, and the doll's yes. name is Catherine. So this is her narrating to the doll her reasons for, this is her note, her note to the world, her last play. And Nick goes to see it, and he realizes that maybe there's more to this pregnancy. And so he goes back to see Dean. But in the meantime, someone has snuck into Dean's room and given him an overdose of morphine. Which doesn't kill him. He, they do manage to save him. But when Nick shows up, If he's, you're going to overdose someone on morphine, don't do it in a hospital where they're being actively monitored. I, I, it's, he has to survive because we have to have the conversation about... He and Skanky show up and he's like, sorry, I know it's late. And Dean says, can't this wait till the morning? And Nick says, ah, uh, no, it can't. And so they pressure him a little bit. And then we get a cut to the car, which we do this frequently. And I always like it is we don't have the interview and then the rehash. We skip the interview and we just get the information through the rehash. Because they ask him a pointed question. He kind of leans his head back on the pillow and turns to the side with this look of surrender. And then we're immediately in the car. And Skanky says, can you believe she was going to have his baby? It's kind of like... Not watching the episode and then listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to watch it. You just listen to the rehash. Uh, uh, yeah. Which at this point is already longer than the episode. Ah, well, we have a lot to talk about in this episode. Okay, this was a There's good... There's a lot to unpack. Here. This is a good episode. It, I love an episode that makes you think, makes you a little uncomfortable. It's not funny. That's how it's you grow. It's not meant to be funny. And so... Yeah, it takes a lot of unpacking because then we find out that, yeah, she literally was having Dean's child so that he could continue to live on. Right, because she loved him, appreciated him so much that she wanted a piece of him to live on. Yeah. So then Skanky gets another uh, moment where he sneaks back into the boyfriend and he's like, oh, hey, uh... I'm back. Just wanted to check in with yeah, you again. Yeah, and he's like, oh, can I come in? And he just walks past him and walks up the stairs. Again, just leveraging his approachability, his right. every manness to be able to get in and do whatever he needs to do without really standing. He just kind of blends. That's what Skanky does best is he's, he's every man. He's not super fit. He's not super skinny. He's a little bit balding. Um, and he uses it to his advantage because he just jovially walks past this guy and up into his apartment and he's like listen we think she was murdered and uh did you know that baby wasn't even yours and the well hold on he doesn't phrase it as the baby wasn't yours it was he phrases it as there's this guy at the hospital that's like obsessed with Marilyn, and he even thinks the baby's his yeah and the guy's like what that's not that no but of course, he's a med student as well. And, and he's like, what? Because you've never heard of a crap, patient falling in love with a doctor? Might be this guy. Right. So then we get like a, Nick has decided to impersonate Dean uh, by wearing his hoodie. 
<laughs> a very convincing disguise. Yeah. And so they get this cute little interaction uh, where he's like, do you believe in life after death? And Nick says, kind of. Yeah. In a weird way, I do. Do you believe in life after death? In a strange way, yeah. I guess there's something in all of us that wants to live forever, huh? Well, you're not going to get any argument from this guy. And it's just a cute little interaction. It's a allusion to Nick being a vampire, but kind of his telling the two truth through yeah, omission. To, it is it's in keeping with his just inability to hide what he is, but in a way that's playful and fun. And he then puts the guy's hoodie on and Skanky goes into like a storage room and he's like, I'll be able to hear you. It'll be fine. And so Nick lays down on the bed. And Erica shows up again, which Erica's shown up several times. She's kind of been pontificating on and off throughout the episode. But she shows up, and this is kind of their final discussion, because Nick says, but I do love living. I do have a lot to give. And she's like, well, you might not always. And he's like, well, I don't know that. Yeah, so Nick's, Nick's counter to her is like, I don't think... I, I don't believe right now that I will ever feel that way. Yeah. But the time will come. No. Not by my own hand. But whose then? You don't really think you can become mortal? That's no more than a fantasy, Nicholas. Well, I believe it. to escape eternity. One way is to join the dead. The other to join the living. She just disappears right as the door opens. And this guy in an obvious wig who somehow made it all the way through the hospital up to this This point. This (laughs) disguise is not convincing. No, it's it's like a spirit Halloween wig with like a scrub cap on. It's not great. But he walks through, apparently, the entire hospital and makes it to Dean's room. And he gets a little line about whatever and then stabs Nick, which Nick's idea of trapping this guy is just letting him stab him. And he's just like, gotcha. (laughs) He he didn't know how the guy was going to do it. All the, I guess. Okay, so they, they suspect this guy killed Marilyn. Yeah. With a scalpel. Yes. They suspect he overdosed this guy with morphine. Right. Right, with a syringe. So Nick could have gotten slashed or overdosed with morphine. He didn't know he was going to get stabbed. He didn't know what the technique (laughs) was going to be. But the guy comes in with like a chef's knife. Yeah, like a paring knife. Yeah. And stabs him in the side. Like, not anywhere vital. He stabs him like in the side of his stomach. doesn't even try to do something that would be interpreted as as like a medical emergency or something. Right, because the other two people... He... I, I guess uh, Marilyn and Dean, the way he did it was to imply that they were trying to commit, commit suicide. suicide. Yes. And, and then Nick's like, ah, he's going to do something that'll make it look like Dean committed suicide a second time. Yeah. And nope, 
No, he just stabs him. No, not even. Yeah, like in the an attempt. How, like by the hip. It's not. It's just like anyway. Uh, it's so Nick can pull it out dramatically and then roll towards him while this guy gets this look of terror on his eyes and Skanky bursts. Out. Well, they have a slight kerfuffle, and Nick pulls off his bad he, wig. Nick yells. Yeah. And the guy runs, and then Skanky's coming through the door. But he's not even ready to stop a Well, guy. we get this weird, like, he ends up pinning Nick to the bed. And, like, Nick is out of frame on the bed while this guy is, like, throttling him. And you just see Nick's, like, hand pop up and pull this guy's wig off. But he's not in frame. It's a very weirdly shot moment. But it's so we can see the door when Skanky bursts in the door. And so the guy turns around and runs, which it's her, um, her boyfriend, Carl. Yeah, in, and, the whole, in the bad wig. Yeah, in the bad wig. And he turns around and, like, slams Skanky against the door and, like, knocks Skanky out <laughs> just by pushing him against the door. Or at least um, knocks him down on his butt. Right, because Skanky, skilled as he is at inter- interrogation, is not the physical side of this duo. Right. No. Skanky is the soft skills. Yeah, Skanky is, is the hard soft skills. skills. Yeah. Uh, so Nick takes off after him, and he ends up grabbing him by the throat and shoving him through a window. And he's holding him by his shirt out this window. Vamped out. All vamped out. And he's dangling outside the window, and he's like... (laughs) Okay, so I thought this was more well-written than pretty much every other version of this kind of scene I've seen before. Ah. Because... Yeah, Nick is holding this guy by the shirt. Yes. And he says, don't let me go. Yeah. Where the the tip, the typical line you hear is, let me go. Let me go. Let me go. Yeah. Yeah. He goes, don't let to, me go. <laughs> and, you know, about half the time they say, oh, <laughs> I'll let you go. Drop. Yeah. 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 Well, Nick doesn't get that up, but he does get like... Skanky comes in and he's like, man, think of the paperwork. If you drop him, trying to. And that brings Nick back to reality. Because this is another one of Skanky's subtle. It redirects him to thinking about the future. Right. Well, it. And him continuing his line of work as a policeman. Yeah. It's it's a very skillful way. Uh, If he just said, Nick, don't drop him. I mean, that doesn't really pull Nick out of it. But this kind of non sequitur line. Think about the paperwork if you drop him. Gets Nick to pull him back in and like toss him against the wall. And when he turns around, Vamp Face is gone. He's back to Nick. Um, and the guy's like, keep him away from me. He's a monster. Because <laughs> he just saw Nick in full vampire glory. Green eyes, vampire teeth, the whole nine yards. And this is, again, where Nick does fuck all to hide what he, he is throws this Skanky. guy like 15 feet with one arm. Yes. In front of Skanky. Yes. Yes. And Skanky's just like, don't insult my partner. Because the guy calls him a monster and he's like, man, you're alive. Be thankful. Don't fuck it up by insulting my partner. I don't know what my partner is. I have no idea why he was able to do that. But he's got Nick's back. Right. And Rachel has a theory that Skanky knows the entire time. I don't think he knows the entire time, but well, we're going to get. He knows for a long yeah. time yeah. that Nick is a. Va- I think he knows a he's something else, or he's something. Yeah, 
But he doesn't care because he likes Nick. He likes And Nick's Nick. good at his job. Right. And they do good work together. Uh, yeah. Uh, and and it's probably a little reassuring to know that you have the moral supernatural creature on your side. Right. <laughs> but, okay. Uh, so that's kind of the end because from there we go to they've seen the play again. But this time he brought Natalie and... And skanky. And skanky. Because this is in keeping with our photographs, right? Where, right. And then we get the palling around the photog- like we did in Dark Knight. Right. But she's in the photograph with everybody. So this is in keeping with that same thing. He's including them in her, his life. He's including them in something that he was passionate about, something that he enjoyed, which was this play. And so skanky apparently slept through it, which is fitting. But Natalie enjoyed it. So that's that's good. Natalie appreciated it. And he has a brief discussion with the woman playing Catherine, and he gives her Erica's ring. And the lady that played Catherine in the play, I forget her name. I don't think um, we'd ever know. But she was like kind of close friends with Erica. Yeah. And she says, well, she was kind of an old soul. And Nick says, oh, not when I knew her. So, I mean, that's kind of the wrap up for it. It's... There's not any better way to really wrap this up. I mean, it's it's a heavy, heavy episode. It's Nick considering alternatives to becoming human. And he says in one of in when he's discussing life with Erica the last time he's talking to her, he says there's two ways to escape eternity, and that's to die. Well, he says join the dead. Yeah, or join the living. And so he's chosen to try to join the living, which I think it's interesting. Anytime you see Jeanette interact with a mortal. So like when they were in the apartment, Erica's old apartment, and that woman shows up and she has the playbill. Oh, yeah. The actress walks in. Yeah. And Jeanette is clearly uncomfortable. She has no idea how to interact with this person. But Nick Nick does. He's very personable. He walks over. He engages her in conversation. He talks to her about Erica a little bit. Um, And Jeanette's just in the background. And this is a consistent theme, which is subtle, but I love that they include it, which is Jeanette does not interact with mortals like ever, ever. And so every time she's required to interact with people who are not like her, she's wildly uncomfortable. And that's what we see in this scene. I always love and she lets Nick do all the talking. Yeah, she lets because he interacts with a lot of people, and you get and the that's sense, kind of on purpose, right? And you get the sense that other vampires don't. They don't interact with other people. They only interact with each other because, yeah, like, even Lacroix. Yeah, like as uh, non-traditional as he is compared to like other vampires, right? Like he, I think a lot of the vampire portrayals in the show are like Jeanette. Yeah. They're detached from, you know, mainstream human society. They just live off in their own like parallel worlds. Look, but then, and they're usually kind of shallow, but then there's like Nick and LaCroix who are like deep people. Nick is like very involved in the human world. LaCroix I don't know. Uh, he seems more involved than other vampires, but then he just pontificates on it all the time. I'm attempting to not give too much away. Okay. That's why I'm just sitting over here because so anyway, I'm that's, trying not to spoil this entire show for you. Then, um, I, I agree with 
Yes. Uh, how you were talking about Jeanette's. Yeah. And I mean, attitude. this is a hill I'll happily, I'll happily fight for, which is this show is one of the most nuanced depictions of vamp- vampires and humanity and sort of the the war inside Nick between those two things. So we get a lot of vampires that want to be human. Or we get a lot of vampires that just love being vampires. But this show in particular did such a good job of portraying all of that. Pros, cons, all of it. And they did it mostly through the acting, through the writing, and then a lot through the mythology they established. Like the fact that Nick is literally giving up feeling alive by giving up human blood. And it's not just that he's chosen to live on animal blood. It's that he is literally giving up a part of what his nature compels him to do. And that's why it's so hard for him to do it. And I just, that's one of the reasons why this is one of my favorite shows is because we don't get another show like this. We get a couple other shows where they'll have vampire detectives or whatever. We get Angel where he has a soul and whatever. And we get Moonlight, which was an attempt at kind of a reboot of this. But of course it died because it was 2008 and it died in the writer's strike. But we don't get this, this magic again. And so it's, I'm why I'm so glad to share it with you because then we can have these in-depth discussions about it. And it's not just me talking to myself, which this did have a very active fan community when it was airing. Like a lot of these shows did. Rachel was part of it. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> do, do we want to uh, put a link? Do you, are you um, going to link my GeoCity site? Is that what you're going to do? I'm going to, I could link the, um, uh, the Wayback Machine archive <laughs> of your GeoCities page uh, in this episode. Yeah, I will say, if anyone is intrepid, on fanfiction.net, the very first Twilight fanfiction is me. And it is a poem that I wrote <laughs> about Nick, uh, which I eventually switched to the Twilight fandom. Right, you just changed the category. I just changed the category. But the date, the date the stays same. the same, which is why I end up being the very first Twilight fanfiction on fanfiction.net. So now you all know that. And I feel like I've shared a very intimate secret with lots of 20 <laughs> listeners <laughs> and two Patreons, two real Patreons. But if you want to find out more about me, because I am an oversharer, apparently. Uh, you can follow us on the Instagram at Strange and Beautiful Book Club or on Patreon at Strange and Beautiful Book Club. Or we have a website, strangeandbeautiful.club, where I have links to all of our stuff, including any place that you want to listen to this podcast. And you're already listening to it right now, but and maybe an there's email a place address where it's to more send convenient. suggestions. Yeah. And a suggestion form, which you just click on and it's a Google form. You can oh, right. fill it's it Google out form. and it yeah. will. Send it right to our email addresses, which you can email me directly at rachel at strangeandbeautiful.club, or you can email Matt at matt at strangeandbeautiful.club, or if you want us both to see it, you can send it to the hosts at strangeandbeautiful.club. So we hope you keep listening. So remember, 
Sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye. So he can continue pushing the buttons while his hands are full. (laughs) We don't know what the powers of Empire has. (laughs) Prehensile penis. (laughs) You're like, oh my God, sold. (laughs) What drawbacks? I see no drawbacks. Just wanted to get that in there. (laughs) All right.